Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you very much for joining this Flint briefing call to discuss the wider implications of the horrendous events of last weekend. It's obviously a, a very difficult moment. The purpose of this call is not to talk through in blow-by-blow blow detail what is happening this week. It's to step back, to think a little bit about what this means for the region, for the wider economy, for Israel, for for broader geopolitics. Uh, we are going to spend around 30 minutes. And as ever, we've muted the lines, so we won't take questions on the call directly. However, if you've got any follow-ups or any questions that you'd like to ask, please do contact us and we'd be, we'd be happy to help. I'm joined this morning by three members of the Flint team who are all former senior diplomats. So Simon Fraser, who used previously headed the UK Foreign Office and spent much of his career in the Middle East. Haifa Mata, who is uh, another Flint partner who was formerly a senior diplomat for Bahrain. And Matthew Leofeld, uh, a Flint senior advisor, uh, ex of the US State Department. I'm going to get straight into things and ask you, Simon, if you could kick us off by talking a little bit about the significance of this attack on Israel and putting that in the wider context of the Israel Palestinian relationship. Thank you very much, Alex. Well, I mean, it goes without saying, we have to start with recognizing the barbaric nature of the attack on Israel last week. And that is the starting point for our conversation. It was really the grimmest possible reminder that this deep and bitter historic confrontation between Israel and Palestinians persists and requires ongoing focus. And I think there's been a sense in recent years that it has been, to some extent, ignored, and there's been no serious diplomatic process on the uh, on this uh, uh, on this conflict since John Kerry was Secretary of State a decade ago in Washington. Uh, and during that period, what has happened? The Palestinian leadership in Gaza has become radicalized under Hamas. And people in Gaza, I think, have increasingly lost hope. They live in very difficult conditions. The established Palestinian authority based on the West Bank has become increasingly discredited. And in Israel, you've seen politics becoming more polarized and shifting to the right uh, with a strong influence of the settler communities as well. So there has been polarization. Uh, and meanwhile, other regional powers like Iran and uh, Russia have been active in the wings in the region, and there's been plenty of conflict and other issues uh, and other problems around Israel and the Palestinians. And uh, I think one of the things we're learning is that nature abhors a diplomatic vacuum in a situation like this. And in part, what we've seen here is the consequence of that. That's not excusing this attack, but it is in some way, I think, helping to explain it. Uh, I would say this crisis in itself is not particularly surprising because, regrettably, we should have learned never to be surprised by violence in the region. Obviously, the nature of it and the brutality of it was surprising, but the fact of it, less so. Uh, and its scale on Israeli soil is truly shocking and is going to be a game changer. Um, uh, and so, uh, frankly, shocking is the fact that the Israeli and other intelligence services failed to prevent it. And there are clearly going to be a backlash and recriminations over that. 
And also, of course, the ongoing hostage situation, including not only Israeli, but also some uh, other nationalities, uh, is going to make what comes next far more complicated. So I think violence is now going to continue on both sides. The Israeli response, which is now beginning to unfold, is going to be devastating for Gaza and people who live in Gaza. And I think two questions arise for, from this in the short term. First of all, is there going to be a serious effort to stop the bloodletting? And when and how? Now, Tony Blinken, the US uh, Secretary of State, has gone to the region today and there is diplomatic activity beginning. And the other question is, will this violence spread to other parts of the region and even beyond the region with even more serious consequences ahead? Over to you, Alex. Well, just to pick up on that final point then, Simon, what, what are the things that we should be looking for that will give us an indication of whether and how this crisis will escalate more broadly across the region? And what, what, what do you think the implications of that would be if it, if it were to happen? Well, I think, in a sense, the first integrator is going to be the, how the Israeli retaliation unfolds and the extent of the uh, of the suffering that that flows from that. Um, but there are a number of other things that we that we should be looking at. First, most obviously, are there going to be other attacks on Israel, and notably, of course, from Lebanon in the north, where Hezbollah is uh, active. Uh, there's already uh, evidence of some limited action. Uh, and it's clear that the Israelis are very concerned about the risk of incursions in the north, although so far it hasn't happened uh, on a large scale. But the key point there, of course, is that Hezbollah is backed by Iran, and the tension between Iran and Israel is obviously very well known. So we need to keep an eye on what Iran does. Secondly, I'd say another risk is random acts of terror against Israeli and other targets, both inside Israel. Uh, and elsewhere. Um, so an escalation of terrorism is something we need to look out for. Thirdly, we need to monitor the reaction of the Arab states. Uh, so, for example, Egypt and Syria in particular, as Israeli retaliation mounts, those governments are going to come under pressure uh, in public opinion to react to what's happening. Uh, there's the possibility of demonstrations and rioting and attacks on Israeli or Western targets, not only in the Middle East, but in other Muslim countries and elsewhere. Fourthly, of course, there is Russia, uh, the potential for Russia to be active via proxies in the region to destabilize Israel and put pressure on the Americans. Uh, that's quite possible. And finally, I would just point to the possibility of a specific threat to stability in Jordan, which has a large Palestinian population and of course always is on the front line uh, and, and vulnerable when tension rises in and around Israel. So those are some of the indicators that we should be looking for in the short term uh, for possible ways in which this conflict could escalate. Back to you. Thanks Simon. Hafer, do you mind if I turn to you now to, to take that forward in a little bit more detail? Um, I mean interested in particular in the reaction of the different Arab states um, there have obviously, over recent years, been attempts to normalise relations with Israel. Are those now dead and finished? Um, talk us through a little bit the reactions, what you're expecting over the coming weeks and months. Uh, thanks, Alex. Um, I mean, four countries, the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco and Sudan, signed the Abraham Accords that normalised relations between them and Israel. It's unlikely that there will be a rollback on these agreements at the present time. 
but I think things will be taken at a much lower pace with any commit without really any commitments at the moment and 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 nothing on the social front. It's important to note that these agreements have not really focused so far on trying to advance um, Palestinian-Israeli peacemaking in the region. There have also been normalization talks between Saudi Arabia and Israel mediated by the U.S., which are likely to all be on hold. Addressing the Palestinian issue was a precondition by the Saudi side for any normalization agreement. And just yesterday, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia received a call a phone call from the Iranian president where they discussed the military escalation and president highlighted Saudi Arabia's support for the Palestinian cause. Um, so if we, if, if we look at the current U.S. administration, um, it is it is centered its policy in the Middle East and has invested a lot of capital on expanding the list of countries that sign up to the Abraham Accords uh, and not working as much to address the situation on the ground. Um, we continue to see this. Um, most recently in the trip that Senator uh, Joni Ernst, co-chair of the Abraham Accord Caucus, just took, where she led a group of U.S. politicians to the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Jordan, and Israel with that objective in mind. Um, Simon, you touched on the lack of leadership overall and the diplomatic vacuum, and you also mentioned Iran and Russia. So just following up on that, it's telling that the Secretary General of the Arab League traveled on Sunday to Russia to, um, and held talks with the Russian foreign minister to uh, to stop the bloodshed. And on Iran, it's important to mention that Hamas's unexpected early military um, success against Israel highlights just how much Iran is able to project power through its armed non-state partners in the region. And if Iran benefits from the emergence of a long and difficult Hamas-Israel war, the Gulf countries will be compelled to consider how they might constrain Iran's ability to use armed affiliates to to upend regional affairs. Over the last few years, the Gulf countries have adopted a foreign policy that focuses on de-escalation and prioritizing economic diversification. This war um, could threaten to to disrupt this whole de-escalation, this whole de-escalation process. Um, The situation on the ground in Gaza is very dire. Um, There's now officially no electricity as its sole power station stopped working and access to humanitarian aid convoys was made impossible by the airstrikes at the Rafah border crossing with Egypt. Um, At least 340,000 Palestinians have been already internally displaced, according to the UN. Um, The mass displacement is adding pressure on Egypt to open its border to allow refugees to flee, highlighting how the situation in Gaza and Israel threatens to spill over into a broader regional crisis. As you mentioned, Simon, the U.S. Secretary of State arrived in Tel Aviv today to try to prevent the war from escalating into a regional conflict. He's also expected to visit the West Bank to meet with the Palestinian president. Um, so so there's a lot to, uh, to look out for. Uh, I'll hand it back to you, Alex. Thanks very much indeed, Hafer. And we, we should talk further about that process or ladder of escalation and and what could potentially be done or might be done to to take us off it. And I'll come to Matthew in a a moment. Before I do that, just a word or two on on the wider potential economic and commercial implications of all of this and why we need to be watching this quite so closely. 
obviously, uh, the events that have already happened are already extremely serious for the Israeli economy. If we were to see a path of further escalation, bringing in Iran, bringing in a more a wider regional conflict, um, the 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 implications of that are potentially of wider systemic importance. So obviously, there's the there are would be the direct knock-on impacts, including for the oil price, which we've not seen move very dramatically yet. But one can certainly imagine, given the Iranian propensity for asymmetric warfare um, and its ability to disrupt shipping, disrupt oil supplies in the Gulf, we could certainly see a very significant impact there. Just more widely, war is, of course, inflationary. We're into a world where we had fortuitously in the West been seeing a slight downtick in inflationary pressures and recessionary pressures related to that over the last sort of six months or so. We're now potentially into a world where there are more inflationary um, headwinds appearing and this may well be one of them. Let me let me turn to, to you, Matthew. I mean, there's an awful lot to talk about here from a US perspective. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you a couple of things, sort of interrelated questions. Firstly, I mean, it, it was notable that the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, had been um, widely um, praising success in the region and saying that it had been quieter than it had been in decades, just a couple of weeks before these tragic events. So I'm interested to understand quite why the US has been so taken by surprise. Um, and then that relates, obviously, to how the US thinks about responding. It was notable to listen to the president's remarks over the last couple of days when he spoke two days ago. He didn't mention Iran by name, I don't think. When he spoke last night, he did. Um, how is the US thinking about escalation and, and managing its posture in the region? Sure. Thanks, um, Alex. I, I think before I address either of those questions, it 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 goes without saying, but it's it's certainly worth repeating um, that uh, the Biden administration, uh, the Congress, and and the American people writ large were really shocked and and saddened by by the attack, especially the horrific images that we've seen of civilian executions and and hostage taking. Um, in general, you know, the U.S. support has been has been strong and swift and unequivocal. Um, and as you just mentioned, Biden um, has issued this warning directed at Iran uh, and its proxies um, to not exploit the crisis. Uh, but that's, of course, precisely the the point of terrorist attacks and and what they're seeking to do. In terms of the intelligence failure, that's quite clear, and it's it's been repeated a number of times. These comments that Jake Sullivan made um, um, at, at a conference, I think I think it's clear that um, as in other instances of, of similar terrorist attacks, whether in, in Paris or New York or others, that you know people, the intelligence community wasn't wasn't aware of that, and there's various explanations for it. Um, in terms of actions and the way that the U.S. is thinking about it, in the short term, um, uh, it it has and will continue to show, you know, strong support for um, for Israel. Um, they've sent a U.S. carrier uh, striker group to the Eastern Mediterranean and also increased the air patrols um, originating out of Italy, but um, covering the Eastern Mediterranean. 
this kind of uh, military posturing is, is largely symbolic. I mean, it, it will be a deterrent for sort of wider regional involvement. Uh, it also is a platform that will provide um, some intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance capabilities for for Israel. But but again, largely a political gesture. A number of you have mentioned the arrival of Secretary of State Blinken in Israel, um, and that he'll have talks with the Israelis as well as. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas in the West Bank. Uh, and the focus in the short term really seems to be on um, reaching an agreement with Egypt um, to allow um, the exit from Gaza of U.S. citizens, um, foreign nationals, U.N. workers, journalists, uh, and the like. Um, that doesn't address the bigger question. And as Haifa noted, Egypt will continue to be under pressure to allow um, internally displaced people, um, Palestinians, out. Uh, the U.S. is 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 really focused, you know, I would say on supporting um, supporting Israel in the short term. That's through an increase in, in military funding. Um, you'll have seen that there's an ongoing leadership battle for the uh, Republican Speaker of the House position. No new legislation can really go through until that's resolved, which may still be a couple weeks out. Um, but the truth is that um, in the short term, it won't matter so much. Israel has the military capabilities probably that it needs. Um, the president has the authority to um, to distribute munitions and, and weapons um, without a congressional act. And, and the, there's also the simple fact that um, the United States uses Israel um, uh, as, a, as a weapons depot and, and has its material already on the ground that it can easily share. Um, it's interesting to note on the military funding question that Biden now plans to submit a special funding request to Congress where he'll bundle um, military support for Israel, Taiwan and the U.S. border, all things that the Republicans care about, uh, along with additional military funding for Ukraine. Um, so this is a way to sort of generate GOP support for Ukraine funding since it was previously stepped out of the congressional uh, the continuing resolution. Um, taking a step back and just sort of looking at a bit more of the bigger picture, I mean, uh, as uh, Simon um, and others have mentioned, I think the crisis really does beg the question um, whether the lack of the peace process made such an outbreak of violence simply a matter of time. I do think that um, there will be renewed interest by the Biden administration to re-engage. Uh, that's probably something that's a few months out. Um, and for the short term, the public line will be support for Israel. And indeed, Alex, as you said, I think um, um, the the main point that they'll be watching is to try to avoid an escalation of uh, of the conflict. So really paying close attention to what happens on the Lebanese and Syrian border. And of course, uh, any actions that um, Iran might be taking. So uh, back over to you, Alex. Well, thanks very much indeed, Matthew. Really interesting. Do you mind if we just sort of widen out from here? I obviously don't want to get into the business of comparing tragedies and crises, um, but it is notable, of course, that these awful events are happening against the backdrop of a uh, a series of challenges to US power around the world. Um, these events come on the heels of what is happening in Ukraine. Uh What's your view on all of this? Do you see a wider challenge to US power and to um, what we usually expect as the normal functioning of the international system? Yeah, I mean, in, in my view, the the kind of the the ability of the, of the US to really 
project its power and 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 um, uh, and provide that stability um, has definitely been weakening over the last we can say maybe two decades. Um, uh, I, I think that the the conflicts in in Gaza and Israel and and Ukraine will reverberate with with one another and have implications. But of course, the you know their their origins come out of um, uh, more more regional uh, conflicts. So, but I, I do think you know a lot of critics would certainly point to the the shift away from Europe and the Middle East and the focus on Asia and China. Uh, meaning that the U.S. doesn't have as much bandwidth or capabilities to address, um, uh, you know, all all of the conflicts all of the time. Thanks very much indeed, Simon Hafer. Do you want a final word on that question or anything else that we've been considering, Simon? Over to you first. Yeah, I, I would just like to come in. Thank you. I mean, um, I, I guess the question sort of begs itself. You know, how how do you see this crisis in the context of the other sort of things that are happening in the world, notably Ukraine and the other big picture things. And I think whilst it's sort of invidious to make comparisons between crises, this is a serious new crisis that is going to have broad international implications, but it's very different from Ukraine in the sense that this is a more localized conflict, although it does have international ramifications and strategic aspects certainly affects regional stability energy markets and superpower interests and financial and business interests in the way that you've described alex Uh, it's not sort of self-evidently as important a structural issue globally as the invasion of a, a country of 40 million people by a nuclear ex superpower and nor in a sense is it really structurally as far-reaching an issue as the geopolitical standoff between America and China. Uh, But this is a crisis that really generates strong emotions, that really touches raw uh, nerves and people's sense of identity and history and indeed religious and cultural identity. And therefore, it is a generator of real instability. And I think, you know, to your bigger question about how you respond to it, I mean, one of the one of the questions is whether, you know, what we used to call the international community is going to be able to come together to try to contain and heal this crisis, or whether it's actually going to become the cause of more antagonism and fracturing in the international system uh, and a source of of further contention. Uh, it's not very easy to be optimistic on our capacity for cooperation at the moment, but uh, fingers crossed that maybe people will see the need to come together to try to resolve this. Thank you. Back to you. Thanks very much indeed, Simon, and, and thanks you. Thanks to all three of you. Um, appreciate you joining us for this call. We're going to end here. We are following this very closely. If there are any things that you'd like to talk about in more detail, do please get in touch with your friends at Flint. Thanks very much indeed.